Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analyst Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about UFC 290 going down at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by a couple of top, top-tier top title fights, Volkanovski, Rodriguez, Moreno, Pantoja. We're here talking about the prelim card right now, though, and um, it's been hit by a, a lot of injuries. Yeah. So I can't blame the OC necessarily for not holding it together. We were supposed to have uh, Figueredo Cop was supposed to be on the main card, probably. So Turner Hooker probably would have been down on the prelims. Yeah, I would have flushed it out a little bit. And uh, we were going to have, well, Cameron Simon fight didn't get any worse. Jack Della Maddalena shot. Yeah. That was a great fight that was going to go down on the prelims. Yeah, now they just have him fighting a guy. Yeah, so we lost a couple core prelim fights here. But otherwise, there are at least a lot of fighters on these prelims that I am fascinated to watch. Um, yeah, you still you still can't help get the feeling that if the UFC were a little more willing to throw money around at their yes. fighters, that like they could have made some replacement fights <laughs> that were better than these like yeah clearly the order of the of the day of the last couple of years is oh we need somebody on short notice just grab some guy for ten thousand dollars yes and yeah. so yeah giving jack della madalena just some dude like that is yeah i don't think there's a particularly good excuse for that had, but, you been, had they been willing to splash another fifty thousand bucks out Exactly. And we could have gotten Jack Delamena versus Kevin Holland. Delamena versus Kevin Holland. Sure. Something like that. Or even somebody. I mean, Holland offered to take the fight. Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah. Then absolutely. It's just that Kevin Holland has a price tag. So they're like, ah. Yeah. So like Delamena is a meaningful prospect. Like you, you want to see him in fights that mean something. And this means nothing. So. Yeah. Uh, but, but hey, the main card is rock solid. It is full of fire matchups and there's still enough on the uh, undercard to not be complete trash. Yeah, so. I mean, if I if I just get to see Madalena, Haragui, Tyra and Petrino fight, all fight this week. Yeah, I'll take I'll it. At least, I'll at least be happy about that. Yeah. Anyway, the thing I'm not happy about is this featured prelim. <laughs> yes. Robbie Lawler, Nico Price. I didn't even watch any Lawler tape this week. Mm-hmm. I, I I I made a enough of a point about it to to tweet about it. I don't want to. I don't want to feel. But I don't because like if I'm gonna watch Robbie Lawler tape for this fight, yeah, I have to watch that Brian Barbarena fight over again. Yeah, or then alternatively, you have to watch better fights that give you hope that you shouldn't have. 
Yeah, exactly. Like you, you remind yourself of how good Robbie Lawler used to be. If I'm watching tape for this fight, I have to watch Lawler Magni, Lawler Diaz, and Lawler Barbarena. If I yeah. want to watch cool Robbie Lawler highlights, then yeah, sure, I can go back and watch his fight with Donald Cerrone and Carlos Condit and Rory McDonald and Johnny Hendricks and Matt Brown and yeah. you know all of these great fights if I just want to feel good. But if I want to know, like, what's how is Robbie Lawler going to show up for yeah. Nico Price, then I have to watch the bad stuff. Yep. Why do that to yourself? <laughs> yeah. Because, like, Robbie Lawler should absolutely beat Nico Price. Mm-hmm. There's no point. There will be no point in Nico Price's career where he is within a country mile of Robbie Lawler at his best. No, he is, you know, we talked about Drikas on the main card. Nico Price is a similar kind of just human car crash. Yeah. He's a complete mess. If he didn't have devastating power, uh, his style would be utterly non-functional. Yep. But he does have devastating power, and he's tough. And he will just wade into people just trying to sling one of those like coffee can sized fists at their head. Mm-hmm. And that works. You know, a lot of the time it actually does work. And maybe, I mean, Lawler could still win this fight. He is just infinitely sharper technically on the inside. Yeah, yeah. He was certainly doing fine against Brian Barbarena for a while. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm not going to pick him. No, I'm not going to pick him either. At this point, the problems are so compounding yep. for Lawler, and the type of game he wants to have is such. It was always a tightrope, and that's what made Lawler so great. Yeah, is that the fights he had in the the prime of his career, Robbie Lawler as champion. You're watching somebody become champion with a game that is built to thrive on the narrowest margins of technical brilliance. Yeah, it is not Anderson Silva in his prime no. where he's just like, oh, let me walk you on to the easiest, sharpest thing that I can do where you have no hope of catching me. Yeah. Robbie Lawler was an action fighter. Yeah. Who won, who won fights with technique. Yeah. And that meant allowing dangerous punchers into the pocket, inviting them into the pocket, making them fight in the pocket and just sort of riding along with their combinations and keeping his eyes trained and looking for devastating counters. Yeah, just like engaging in the most dangerous phase of the fight for rounds at a time. Yeah, and it was thrilling, but you start to slow down. Yeah, vision starts to go. The cardio, I mean, because even too, like that is a that is a fighting style that requires a ton of cardio. Yeah, the cardio, the durability, all the these uh, willingness to pull the trigger, all yeah. of the things that happen to aging fighters are going to have a compounding effect on that particular style. Yes, because you are right there to be hit, and you are trying to thrive in yeah. what is a very chaotic sport where people can offer you all sorts of different challenges, and having the vision to see them all in the pocket. Yeah is intensely, insanely difficult. Yep. So I'm going to pick Nico Price. 
and I'm yeah. going to feel terrible about it. And Robbie Lawler will probably look really good for a round before just getting caught by something wild. Yeah. And if he doesn't get caught by something wild and he beats Nico Price's get breaks off and then rides off into the sunset, nobody will be more thrilled than me. No, that would be delightful. Yeah, I mean, I think there is room in this fight for Robbie Lawler to to try to create a little more of a methodical path to victory. Yeah. Like Robbie Lawler can jab. Yeah. Robbie Lawler can move his feet. He can he he has some of the skills needed to try to like moderate the pace and extend himself for three rounds. And if he can do that, then it should be easier against Nico Price than against virtually any other opponent in this division to yeah. like see the shots coming. Because Nico Nico Price is a complete mess technically he is an incredibly obvious puncher brian barbarina is a much sharper technical than nico price ever has he is faster i mean not on the feet necessarily he's about as slow as nico but his hands are faster he is much more precise as you say he throws better combinations he can keep his balance multiple punches into an exchange in a way that nico price can't he's just a total mess but um. Yeah, it really just comes down to not trusting Robbie Lawler and yep. and definitely trusting Nico Price to absorb whatever punishment is coming at him, and keep trying to make the fight the kind of mess he needs it to be to get chances. Yep. And if he can do that, I mean, this could very well be a fight where Robbie Lawler has nine good minutes. Yeah. Where he's landing the better shots, and if Nico can just keep coming and not get put away then at any point, if Robbie starts to gas or anything, Nico could just club him. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I'm taking price more for where Robbie Lawler is at than for any particular faith in Nico Price's abilities. It's a severe sadness hedge. Yeah, but I also think it is a perfectly logical one. Like, Yes, yes. Robbie Lawler has not looked good. His style is not built for him to decline as he has. It was a miracle that he had the title run and reign that he did have in the first place. Yep. The the other shoe has dropped, you know? Yep. It's it's done. Robbie Lawler's style does not work for an old man, and he is officially an old man. Yeah. Lawler opened at plus 218. He's currently at plus 221. Price opened at minus 252. He's currently at minus 256. So... Lines are spiked up and down a little, but are ending up right about where they've always been from opening. And yeah, I'm fine with it. I, you just got to assume everybody should be betting on Nico price here. Um, yeah, it's just too, it's too hard to pick Robbie Lawler, uh, given all of the ways that his game is declining at once, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's not just pulling the trigger. It's also becoming the durability. Mm-hmm. It's also becoming the cardio. And all of these things are, it, it's, it's a bit like Tony Ferguson. When, when Tony Ferguson, I mean, Lawler was much more technical than Ferguson. Mm-hmm. But when, you know, Ferguson was one of those dudes, you, we, we used to watch him in his prime in the middle of his run. And we were just like, this man will not last. Yeah. He, he will not carry into the future as a functional fighter. And when the wheels fell off of him, it was just yeah, 
all of them were gone suddenly yeah. at the same time. You have a both both of those guys very different in style, but you have the Roy Jones Jr. thing. Like yeah. you have built a style which is so reliant on being youthful that the tiniest little slip can really have a massive effect. Yeah, uh, on how much risk you are inviting. It's not like Robbie Lawler in his prime, even in his late prime, wasn't getting hurt in these fights. No. You know, he got buzzed by Matt Brown even. He got hurt several times by Rory McDonald. Like, it was always a super dangerous game to play. He just can't play it with any any kind of safety anymore. Yeah. No, that's what made, like I said, that's what made Robbie one of, yeah. you know, for a lot of hardcore fans, it's made him their favorite fighter ever because it was it was the highest level of success at the thinnest margins. Yeah. He he delivers the uh, the kind of like technical brilliance you want as like a complete outcast nerd, mm-hmm. while also giving you the visceral thrill that like the average not plugged in fan might get from like a bullshit heavyweight fight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, like oh, I'm gonna see some blood and guts, but it's gonna be brilliant. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, yeah. just a truly special talent. Hundred percent. I hope he wins, but yeah. I'm not gonna hope too hard. Yep. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout. Jack Della Maddalena, Josiah Harrell, and uh, hey, you know, at least in the cyclical nature of sports fandom, Lawler may be on his way out, but Maddalena is right there picking up the pieces, right? Sure, yeah. Like, this is a dude doing the exact same kind of thing. That's true. Trying to get in the pocket, thrive on those margins, be the guy who stays in front of somebody who sees the punches coming, who extends the combinations and makes for absolutely thrilling wars. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, his opponent, he was going to have a fight with Sean Brady, which would have been a fun test. It would have been a hell of a test for Brady, if I'm being honest, because Brady really hates being in striking wars as they get deeper. Um, but now Brady's out and Josiah Harrell's in a Matt Brown training partner, apparently. Hmm. Uh, Brown was pumping him up on, uh, on Twitter the last couple days. Okay. And, uh, there's certainly things to Harrell's game that are worth watching, He's a big puncher. He's got tight form in the pocket. Um, he is absolutely hard to break and hard to convince not to fight. But he can be taken out of a functional game really quickly. Mm-hmm. Mostly, he can't defend takedowns. At all. He's just not thinking about it. He's so focused on his punching output in 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 standing exchanges that I don't think he's really focused on what his opponent is doing at all. And then on the ground, he's he's a good grappler when he can get on top of people and get into dominant positions himself, but He's very willing to give up and start in bad positions to try to scramble through them. And Madalena's not 
some kind of wrestling or positional genius, but he will take those opportunities when they come to him. Mm -hmm. And mostly he'll use them to create more violence for people because everything flows through. There's There's a bit of like, it's a bit of like team alpha male with a super insistent pressure game. Mm-hmm. Where for Madalena everything is like a reset to punching more, you know? Yeah, he does uh, the offensive version of what uh, I like to call uh, bridge building. Yeah, when I, I talk about it with defense, usually that that was that was Archie Moore's term for, um, yeah, like b- building this sort of network of positions that you can move between. At any point you stop connects to two or three other things, this sort of flow chart approach. Mm-hmm. Adelaine is very offensively focused, but he really shines in that particular area that there's yeah. great connectivity between all of the different attacks he wants to, wants to do. And that should be a huge problem for Harold because Harold has ob- obvious points where he just needs to stop. Yeah. You know, he has, po- he has points where his offense just stops functioning and then he has to refigure it out. And Madeline doesn't have any of those points. Yep. It will get a little wild. It'll get a little tense. But like we saw, too, with, like, Pete Rodriguez, who is a pretty, uh, you know, raw but violent fighter Mm -hmm. as well. That, like, given, you know, given another raw opponent that just had to have a stop point in his fights. Like Madalena just poured on offense that Pete Rodriguez had no clue what to do with. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I can't, I can't see Harold's game and think, Oh no, he's got it. He, he might be tough enough to hang in there for a couple of rounds, but I don't think he can give up the kind of opportunities he was giving up to, uh, Oh, who was it fight, fighting last time out? Mike Roberts. Yeah, Mike Roberts. Mm-hmm. Where, um, or maybe it was actually no, it was Tracy Reader. That was the fight I watched. Or, or maybe it was the Roberts. I can't remember. But I, either either way, it was basically just like Harold losing every minute of that fight until his opponent gassed out. And he got to one good position and yeah. dropped some bi- some big hammer fists and some big punches. And the ref, I guess it was probably the Roberts fight. He was definitely one step behind throughout that fight. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay. And then your opponent, your nine and eight opponent fell apart. No, it was the reader fight, actually. It was. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh, your opponent fell apart. And you jumped on them. You you jumped on the position as they got tired and you took it over because you've got the physicality and the power to do that. But there's nothing where you're, he was leading the fight through any of the rest of it. And I don't think Madeline is not the kind of dude who breaks. It's not the yeah. kind of dude who just, who runs himself out of his own offense. Cause it's like, like you were saying, it's all bridge building. Everything that Madeline does moves him naturally to a new phase of offense where he can do more damage. Yeah. Yeah. He is adjusting his feet while he's punching. The punches connect together. There is defense thrown in there. Everything is always leading to a new, uh, a new and usually offensive layer. 
And uh, I'll, I will say that I've watched the fight with Mike Roberts, and that mostly applies there as well for, yeah. for Harrell, that he, um, you know, like, he just get he has, like, mostly one idea at a time. Yeah. And they're credible ideas. Like, uh, I, I wouldn't say that Matt Brown is a fool for thinking this guy has potential. Yeah. Um, you know, he's in there trying to slip and counter. Uh, he is paying attention to what his opponent's doing. He, if he gets hit with a kick, the next one he's going to check it. But um, mostly it's one idea at a time. And you will get a slip and counter. And if the counter lands, great. If the counter misses, whatever. Either way, there's no follow-up to that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is not like naturally sort of building an initiative as this fight goes on nor is he able to do any good work when the first idea doesn't succeed. Yeah. Uh, it just, as you said, he just kind of has to stop and reset an awful lot. And this is not unusual for a young, inexperienced fighter. No. Um, it takes quite a bit of experience, I think, to develop that, that comfort um, to, to know that you have to you always have to be thinking two, three steps ahead in an exchange that you always have to be, whether you're anticipating something coming back at you or you are predicting the position your opponent's going to end up in, that you have to have a plethora of ideas to go to next. But he just doesn't have it yet. Yeah. Should so, also yeah. be noted, too, that uh, his nickname is the Muscle Hamster. Carol. <laughs> okay. And I'll take that. We always like interesting nicknames. And part of that has to is because he has the kind of reach that would be uh, underwhelming in the women's flyweight division. Yeah. He has a 67 inch reach. Yeah. Stocky little dude. And that should be a point to where Madalena can just eat him up because Madalena's, you know, he might be a, po- a pocket puncher, but like we saw in the Pete Rodriguez fight too, if you're going to be hesitant from range, oh yeah, Madalena will just chew you up there. Like oh, those those combinations start with the jab, baby. Like yeah, he is going to initiate from range. That's how he gets in on you. Yeah, yeah. What what I anticipate happening here is that Harold is going to be. Uh, looking to like evade the first punch from Madalena. He's going to try to slip it or block it and counter and is going to be very quickly shocked when the opponent isn't also just doing one thing at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and that the, the punch that he evaded is immediately followed up by three more. And he happens to have slipped and then popped right back up into one of those follow-up shots. Yep. I just think he's going to get overwhelmed. I agree. Uh, odds on the bout. Madalena is a prohibitive favorite. Opened at minus 1100 or 1111, 1111. Wow. And is currently at minus 909. Harrell opened at plus 603 and is currently at plus 643. Yeah, I I mean, you know, it's super wide odds for uh, a random middleweight or random welterweight mid-card action fight, but Mm -hmm. nobody's picking Harold here at all. No, it's not a fight meant to be picked two ways. It's no, 
they just threw it together because Madalena's opponent dropped out. That's it. Yep. Hopefully, though, I did. They, I think they still have. Um, oh, what's his name? Um, is it not CJ? Is it? Uh, this, this, there's another guy who's a welterweight who also has insanely short arms. Um, I'm gonna try to find him really quick if he's still on the ro- the roster. AJ Fletcher, there we go. Oh yes, AJ Fletcher. What's AJ Fletcher's reach? He has very short arms. AJ Fletcher has a 67 inch reach as well, so he has the there same reach as AJ Fletcher. They have to after <laughs> this fight. They have to do AJ Fletcher versus uh, Josiah Harrell. Like that would probably be a fun fight. It would be a fun fight, and also just funny to look at these two little stumpy. Yeah, <laughs> just finally getting the opportunity to hit someone at the same time that they're being hit. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. All right. That brings us to a woman's strawweight bout: Yasmin Haragui against Denise Gomes. And um, Is that how that's pronounced? Which. I- I can't trust you on this. Did Denise go? Is it Denise? Denise? Yeah, I think it's Denise. Or Denise, Denise. But it's got to be Gomez, right? It's not Gomez. It's Gomez. Yeah, Denise Gomez. Gomez. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna continue saying Denise Gomez because I can't trust you as my source. Okay. Yeah, no, not for, not for Portuguese. Just <laughs> I'm I'm thinking I am vaguely remembering what John Anik said, and then I'm translating it through my own need for like literal interpretation, and yeah. then trying to impose rules that I think I've learned on all of that. It's yeah. not good. No. It's the, our producer says it's the way I said it. Denise Gomes. Oh, I refuse to believe that. Okay. Anyway. Now Yasmin I know what to call her. Yasmin Hargi, Denise Gomes, and uh, it's sort of a careful what you wish for fight for Gomes who... Did not seem at all ready for the UFC and then showed up really well in her last fight out and is now getting an infinitely harder opponent. Yep. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Howardy is really good. Yeah. Um, She's not a, she's not an impervious fighter. She is an action fighter by nature. And certainly in her last fight uh, against Estela Nunes, she had some difficulty. I mean, Nunes is uh, herself a pretty credible striker and is very fast. Mm-hmm. And Odegi had to kind of, as she often does, she kind of had to take around seeing what Nunez was trying to hit her with and getting hit by a good amount of it and having to kind of block her way into the pocket. But uh, she is a very good, um, uh, she, she is very good at making adjustments and at finding counters, finding ways to uh, use pressure to, to create the exchange and then finish it with the last word. Uh, in particular, I, you know, I, I said this after her first UFC fight. I love the left hook that she throws to close out exchanges. Mm-hmm. Um, she does a nice job of pivoting with it. She throws it really tight and she just has super fast hands. So, um, yeah, certainly possible. This is going to be a bit messy to begin with. But Gomes is a permanently messy fighter. Yeah, I mean, the big adjustment that we were so uh, amazed of with out of Gomes in her last fight was that she didn't just pressure with empty, with nothing. 
Because yeah. she bashed her way in with punches. Yeah. Going into the UFC and going into her fight with Loma Lukbunmi, Gomes would just, she would pressure people and not throw. And she would just walk up to them. Most of her fights were her getting beat and her, oppo- her opponent getting so tired of getting pressured that suddenly in like round two or round three, they would collapse and Gomes would take over. Yeah. Or just hitting her and then realizing too late, oops, I'm in the corner. Yeah. She would crash into them. Um, yeah, she and, was actually closing the gap with offense. Yeah. Last fight out, she was throwing credible offense, and then she had an opponent in Bruno Brazil who was not at all prepared or comfortable in a hard no. fight. No. And so that was more than enough to take Brazil out of the fight. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, just those kind of reckless collisions, like that is not going to take Howitigi out of her game. No, I mean, Nunes came out, and she cracked Haragui. Yeah. In their fight. And what did Hargley do? She did what you love to see out of a fighter who who's an action fighter that gets cracked, which is that she just planted her feet and said, oh, okay, I should make some adjustments for that mm-hmm. and go right back to being an aggressive, pressuring action fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, it did not for a second make her be like, oh, I guess I'll be an outside cautious fighter now and... Nope. Try to like let my foot off the gas and not get hurt again. Not at all. No, it's like Robbie Lawler. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, this is anything that happens is information I can use. Yep. Whether it's good or bad, whether I throw a punch and it lands or I throw a punch and it misses, whether they punch at me and I evade or it lands, um, I'm going to apply that data to the next exchange and continue building on that. And yep. so, yeah, she's hyper aggressive. Um, She's still pretty difficult to hit super clean and hurt because she's really compact in the mm-hmm. pocket. She keeps yep. a really nice tight guard. She tends to come in with her level, not ducking, but her level nice and kind of low. And she keeps her balance really well when she's punching back and, and puts combinations together. Combinations, yeah. yeah, she puts her punches together beautifully and pretty much always closes out with that dynamite left hook. So, yeah, there's going to be some messy moments here. There's going to be some clashes that probably don't go completely Howardigi's way, but she is going to be applying all of that as the fight extends. And uh, it's the fact that we're like praising Gomes for coming forward and throwing a punch at the same time should kind of tell you about the yeah <laughs> the expected level of what we yeah. want to see from. And if she keeps doing that, like you know, there's a lot of like hey, same power kind of potential in Gomes. <laughs> Yeah, she's powerful. If she can just soak up punishment and keep coming forward, throwing big, heavy shots, absolutely. Yeah. Um, she's going to beat some people, but it doesn't look like enough. Even if I had more faith in her and had seen her do that more often, it doesn't look like enough to actually win several yeah. rounds against Howard. Har- Har- seems like a potential future title contender. Yes, yes. Figuring out enough of her game to be so that in the future she won't be getting clipped easily ever and then you're just going to have to deal with a very aggressive high volume striker with very tight technique yeah but that but as it is she is willing to get hit and she doesn't um she doesn't even ignore it like it doesn't deter her but she does uh, notice what's hitting her and usually looks to find a way to punish yeah the the next attempt so yeah, pretty pretty easy pick for Howdigi. And the odds reflect that. Hargi opened at minus four fifty-five, is currently minus three eighty-three. 
Gomes opened at plus 364, is currently at plus 316. I wouldn't honestly expect those odds to get that much tighter. All right. That brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Jimmy Crute, Alonzo Menafield, and this fight was an absolutely hilariously abysmal shit show the first time around. <laughs> in a fun way. Not in a like William Knight Marcin Prachnio way. But in a these two men are both very powerful and are both utterly incapable of having any defensive control over their fights. Yeah. And one of them is a way better athlete than the other. <laughs> and the other one is much more determined and aggressive than the other. Yeah. So it really is the perfect kind of clash where Jimmy Crute is reckless and aggressive to a fault and not and, and unfortunately for him it's turning out really just not athletic enough to survive at light heavyweight well yeah and he has a style which he thinks he's i i think jimmy crew was probably a much better athlete than the guys he was fighting yes on the way up and now it's like his style just sort of assumes that he's going to be the more powerful and the faster and the yep. longer lasting fighter. And often now he is none of those things. Yeah. And he's also not super durable. Yeah. Cause, and I mean, light heavyweights, they hit so hard. It's hard to be durable at light heavyweight. The really, truly durable men in that division are few and far between because they all can crush each other. Yeah. You don't want that to be your first line of defense. No. And men in the field, he is a bit of, you know, he's a bit in that Eric Anders mold where it's like, oh, you were a great athlete who came into MMA with no real fighting skills whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And it has been a long, slow process to turn you into a confident, functional fighter who can throw more than one or two punches at a time. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's still at this point, I think Menafield is at the one two stage of that development where he you know he no longer gets his feet way out of position on his first strike mm -hmm. so he can deliver a, a hard follow-up strike behind it and it'll usually be after that strike that he starts to to lose his his place in the mm -hmm. in an exchange and it's not a great wrestler he's a violent top control fighter when he can get there, but he's not a confident top control fighter. Mm -hmm. So his top control when he is throwing with violence will lead him straight into getting submitted or needing to just control people and keep his position tight because he can't really think about his offense and his defense when grappling at the same time. Yeah. And that makes it a tough, that makes Crute a little bit extra difficult for Menafield because there's no safe point for Menafield to get to where right. he can just be like, oh, I hurt Crute really bad, and now I'll chase him to the ground, and I don't have to try that hard to control him here. No, Crute is always scrambling, always trying to throw something up, always yeah. trying to make himself difficult. Crute has like Nikita Krylov's approach to ground. Yeah, yeah. Always threatening something, always trying to finish you on the ground. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't have Krylov's like durability or stamina. Yeah, 
but uh, that that hyper aggressive approach means yeah you have to he forces you to think about defense a lot and only like actually good grapplers get a chance to then counter the recklessness of his attack. Yeah. So what that meant in their last fight was Jimmy Crute started out looking good, fighting well, popping some strikes. You know, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, he looks good here. And then he just started getting mauled. Yeah. Absolutely brutalized. Shit kicked beyond recognition. Yep. And then it was so hard for Menafield to keep control of Crute in that fight that he started to gas horribly. Yep. And that's where they ended up. Yep. In a draw. Because Menafield lost a point for cage grabbing because he was so tired from kicking Crute's ass all over the cage. Yep. I got to pick Menafield. Yeah, I, I have. Mean, but what's Crute going to do differently, fight. right? Yeah. Like, the fight could go exactly the same, and there's a very good chance that Crute just gets KO'd. Yeah. I have to pick Menafield, but it's a hilarious fight. It really is. Yeah. No, that that's really, I feel the same way. I mean, you look at the last fight, uh, again, Menafield, all things considered, may as well have won. Like, yes. He did so much damage to Crude. Who who can say if Crude can survive that kind of thing again? Maybe he can, but uh, Crude isn't going to win with that approach. No. Manyfield might very well win with that exact approach. And uh, Crude doesn't have any safe places in his game. Nope. He wins with offense, offense, offense. So he just has to keep walking into the fire. It allowed him to survive that, that yep. relentlessness, but it uh, it was not safe. Crude is somehow the favorite right now. He opened at minus 103. He's currently minus 116. Okay. Menafield opened at minus 107. It's currently at plus 105. Why? All right. I mean, they may as well be even. It's, it's Who dead. Knows? But, but why? Like, if you're going to do anything, you have to look at that fight and be like, man, Menafield can absolutely wreck Crude with two or three punches at any time in the fight. Yeah, but he did comically gas. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It is, it's a hilarious booking. All right. That brings us to a catchweight bout. Tatsuro Tyra, Edgar Chires. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. What, what was... we're, we were supposed to have Tatsuro Tyra, Clayson Rodriguez. Uh, yeah. Uh, Rodriguez, I think, missed weight. Yep, and then they didn't rebook it. So, Ty, Ty, well, yeah, I mean, fair enough. I'm never going to knock a guy in Tyrus' position for yeah. refusing, refusing to fight an opponent who comes in overweight. Like, that's sure. you got to come in at, at the weight limit. Yeah. Um, so, unfortunately, we get a, a much less meaningful booking. That being said, I mean, I think this is a chance for Tyra to shine in, yeah. against a very dangerous opponent. Sure. Um, someone that there are really, really obvious paths to victory. Usually, the, I mean, the same path to victory that is usually there for Tyra, namely the positional grappling, the takedown game and the positional grappling. Chiras is willing to fight off of his back. Yep. Uh, he can be taken down. He is. But the reason these things happen is Chiras is way too aggressive for his own good. He's insanely aggressive. Um. He is one of these fighters who, like, the moment he lands something clean, you can just look at his face. He gets, like, wide-eyed. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, it's like a big cat when you turn your back on it and just the instinct to pursue kicks in. 
Mm-hmm. He wants to kill, kill, kill. And uh, Tyra, being a fighter who tends to start his fights pretty passively, Shiras is probably going to come at him. Probably. I mean, and even if, you know, even if that weren't Chiris' style, that would be the smart thing to do coming sure. in on short notice, yeah, getting your UFC call up. Make the most of it, you know? You've, yeah. Maybe you haven't had a full training camp, whatever. Just go out there and uh, who did that recently? Um, not that recently, but somebody came in on short notice. I feel like it was against Frank Camacho. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a while ago. But uh, that was out. Oh, um, we did, Miguel. We just saw him. Uh, Some yeah. So somebody came in. They were on very Miguel short Torres, notice. Not Miguel Torres, but no. Uh, it was definitely not Miguel Torres. Manuel Torres. There you go. Manuel Torres and Justin Janes did too. Janes is, I think Janes is actually one I was thinking of. He came in, it was like a few days notice. Yeah. He's like, I haven't had a camp. If I recall, he was pretty open about it. And he was yep. like, you know what? I'm just going to maximize the chances I get early and see if I can knock him out. Yep. Sometimes that's the right call. Uh, Chires kind of fights like that anyway. It would be a good call here. Just see if you can clean Tyra's clock. Yeah. And, um, yeah, if you can't, then he is going to get taken down and, and choked out probably. Yeah, I will otherwise say, though, that Chires to me seems a bit more... He seems like one of those flyweights who's actually a bantamweight yeah. kind of thing that we're getting a lot of, where, like, he's a wild man, but it, it doesn't strike me as, like, somebody who... in When given an opponent that maybe won't throw that much at him, yeah, he will just... He will have a low pace, like, oh, okay, let's... Let's each true. pick our moments, ones and twos kind of strikes. That's true. Kind of fight. And he usually has to get woken up by tasting his own blood yeah. kind of thing. And then he goes, yeah. Mass. Which to me, you know, I, as you also said, with somebody like Ty- Tyra, this is a chance for Tyra to shine. Yeah. Like, don't give this guy an opportunity to get going. Yeah. You know, if he's not going to come out and pressure you straight away, then go out and take him down. You yeah, know? but he probably will. He probably <laughs> will. That would be the smart thing to do. Uh, no, I mean, I think he probably will. There's a, there's a pretty good chance in my mind that he kind of lets Chires, uh get into oh, the yeah. fight. Because yeah, ten, tends to be pretty slow starting. Yeah. But, I, you know, I will say, too, for Tyra, as we've seen now with him in several fights, taking a hard fight to him does not mean getting a good fight a fight you can win. Like, oh, no. Because when you get aggressive, he, a, he, he blasts yeah. you off your feet. That's yeah. what he wants to do. I think that's why he's so laid back to start his fights. He is waiting for you to overcommit. Yeah. He, he's Tyra is a great problem solver. Yeah. So if sure. you give him a problem, if you're like, oh, I'm going to come out and put it on you. I mean, it, it's what makes Tyra a really fascinating prospect is because like, you give him space and open time, then it's like, okay, you're just letting him peck away at you and sort of figure out what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And that's never, you know, that, that's not going to be great, greatly beneficial to you unless you can really like low kick the hell out of him and sh- jab him up and, and make him pay for that kind of time and space. Mm-hmm. But if you pressure him instead, and you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go after, I'm not going to let him just have the slow paced fight he wants. Tyra, he solves that problem. He will take whatever you give him and turn it into something for himself. So, 
it will be it's a tough fight for for Chires. I'm I'm interested to see how he shows up in the future. And uh yeah, for me this is really just about Tyra and seeing how 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 big can you go against somebody who's probably going to come out and give you a bunch of opportunities. Yeah. Tyra opened at minus 847 is currently minus 1100. 1111 again. And Chira has opened it plus 607. It's currently plus 691. A lot of wide lines on this card, it has to be said. Yep. All right. That brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Vitor Petrino, Marcin Prochnio. And um, I think this is probably a bad night for Prochnio. I like, we both like a lot of what Prochnio has been doing and figuring out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not at all shocked that he had a terrible, an all-time terrible fight with William Knight. Uh, that, Mostly William Knight's fault, but Prochnio yeah. is not blameless. Yeah. Because he did not know how to build on the massive lead that he was essentially just given for free. Yeah. But he's also, he's had enough bad experiences in the past that I'm not surprised that yeah. The, yeah. the thing that he's cornered himself into is... Have a safe fight. If you get a safe fight, have a safe fight. It was very much like uh, Rory McDonald, Jake Ellenberger. Like, yeah, I wish you'd done some more, but like, okay, you know, you're winning easily. So I guess go for it. Yeah. And you don't go for it. Don't go for it as the case was. Yeah. And yeah, it just doesn't surprise me that Prochnio is given the opportunity to be that guy. Now he is that guy. Now he was a dude who on the come up when he was fighting hugely inferior athletes, he would wade in and just be like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go out and assert myself and throw big power karate moves at you. Yeah. And then getting knocked out three times in a row, it solved, it, it, it disabused him of that notion. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, I think it's better for Procneo's long-term success at heavyweight. It's better that he stay safe and just try to be the technical guy. He's got a long history with, uh, I think, with karate, isn't it? Yeah, with Kyokushin karate. He has the ability to lean on some technique that his opponents don't have. But I don't think it'll help him here against Petrino. Yeah. Petrino is just a bully and a brawler. And by all appearances, he's technically like he... He can't keep himself out of the pocket. He can't keep himself from going wild or getting clinched up. But he doesn't gas easily. Somehow. And he has a great chin. And he knows this about himself and he fights to it. And I think if he just brings a brawl to Procneo, he's going to find Procneo out of his depth. I mean, he still he did make some comically bad decisions against Anton Chikali. Oh. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not. He he's not fighting a good fight. Procneo will have moments to take this fight away from him. Yeah, like that fight. Like, why was he not just punching Chikali in the yeah. face? No, he just, he just kept like God forbid. Uh, God forbid Vitor Petrino ever has to uh, to fight uh, like. Uh, the the light heavyweight equivalent of a Neil Magny, yeah, because uh, Uncle Yeah, oh God forbid. Yeah, he's just going to be clinching with him of his own volition nonstop. 
Yeah. He doesn't have the control. He, I, I don't know what the issue was, but yeah, he just, he just kept inviting Turkali back into the fight. Yep. But this is a case where, yeah, like Prokner does not want to have that kind of fight. Um, you know, uh, Prokner is going to try to shut him out of exchanges. Yep. He's going to try to move around and Petrino is going to swing at air a lot. But each time he misses, it just compels him to add another punch onto the end of the exchange. Um, yeah, I just think he's too violent for Prokner. Yep. Yeah, basically. and this is, a, this is a violent man's division, as we were talking about with Crute and yeah. Menafield. You know, it, it's not made up of super durable guys. And even if it was, the durability does not save them because yeah. it's just too many people that hit too hard. They're yeah. too big and they're too fast. Like that fight with Khalil Roundtree that impressed us so much for Procneo. Mm-hmm. There's every possibility that if Khalil Roundtree had not improved and had just tried to go out there and blast Procneo, it would have been a much harder fight to win. Yeah. You know, um, so. Petrino is not going to be playing by the sort of rules that uh, Procneo has spent all this time learning. Yep. Yeah, I got to pick a guy like Petrino, light heavyweight. It's just the right division for, for that kind of fight. Natural light heavyweight. Really and truly is. Odds on the bout. Petrino is a solid favorite. Opened at minus 263. Is currently minus 278. Procneo opened at... My, uh, plus 199 is currently plus 238. Odds should not get any wider than that. Petrino is still a complete mess. And if Procneo just, like, takes him down and, like, beats him up or takes his back or something and chokes him or just lands a, a switch kick and knocks him out or something, none of those things would be a shock. It's just knowing that seeing Petrino be so hard to gas and be yeah. so reckless, it's also hard to pick Procneo to stay safe the whole time. Yeah, but it's important to keep in mind that uh, despite Petrino continually inviting Tercali back into the fight, the the reason that didn't bite him is because Tercali's bad. Yeah. Like, well, he's, he's really a, he's bad. Not a good fighter. And Procneo is. So, yeah, those opportunities could definitely actually lead to something this time around. All right. That brings us to a Bantamweight bout. Cameron Simon, Terrence Mitchell, and um, Mitchell probably just shouldn't be in the UFC. Yeah. That's really it. Yep. That's about it. I mean... Um, Simon is a pretty solid rangy kickboxer. He's especially good at kicking people in the balls. Yeah. I mean, he's just so clearly like <laughs> the more you, the more you hear Drikus Duplessis talk about Simon and like how they train together and come up together and yeah. are like each other's BFFs and all that, you know, power couple it, Cameron Simon makes so much more sense in that lens because it's a lot of the same stuff where you're like, you're not a technical wrestler or technical grappler. You're an okay technical kickboxer in spots, yeah. but most of what Simon has is the ability to just fight really hard forever with the belief that sooner or later he will start winning. Pretty much. Yeah. And Terrence Mitchell is a top control back take specialist who fights like he's who strikes like he's on roller skates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And yeah, I really do not trust any part of his game coming out of the Alaskan regional scene no. to transfer over to the UFC. And the last time he tried, he got on tough and had to fight Kai Kara France and got yeah. absolutely melted. Just got crushed. Yeah. Like could not evade a single shot coming at him. Flattened yeah. against the fence, just belted over and over. Yeah, it was not a good look. Yeah. Um, against a much smaller man. Yeah. Like, He's got the kind of game that's it's built on physicality on a regional scene that has none. And that's yeah. always my biggest. This person does not have the tools to step up in competition. Yeah. Trigger is when I see somebody who's like, oh, you're a physical guy on a terrible regional scene. I assume that you will be terrible on a big international scene. I mean, you would know you're from Alaska. It's true. It's they're true. Not, they're not cranking out the best of the best up there, you know? No, no, God, no. They, they <laughs> we're, Alaska is like Australia, but north. <laughs> like, that's where they send people to. <laughs> you Somehow know. you got back into the real America, but. Yeah, no, I escaped, yeah. but, you know, I, I've got like. I had to cut. I had a tag. I had to cut off. <laughs> we can all agree, you started off where you belonged. Yeah, I'm missing the top part of an ear. That <laughs> many people think that's because Zane has been spayed uh, or neutered. Sorry, I forgot which was which. But, you know, like a stray cat. This is how they mark which ones they've yeah. already uh, taken care of. But no, it is actually the. Uh, tracking device that's implanted in all alaskans yeah um yeah no he's just not uh physically up to snuff for ufc caliber and uh simon is closer to that and can also like occasionally pretend to kind of be good so yeah he's and he's just made it he's made it really clear that he will he will do the Drikus Duplessis thing, which works, especially against low-level competition, guys like yeah. Mitchell, where it's just like, oh, I'm going to be fighting really hard through everything you do yeah. with the absolute confidence that I will break it. Like, Mitchell could get on him and get get his back and get both hooks in, and I would trust that Simon would try to turn through guard so much for so long that sooner or later he would do it and Mitchell would give up. Yeah, pretty much. You know? And it's not because Simon's like some grappling miracle. It's just because Mitchell's grappling is pretty raw. And if Simon is going to try to fight it off for long enough, he'll probably win that battle. Yeah. Really, the only thing he has on Drikus is that like he's in a smaller division. So mm -hmm. he, he he's just naturally more agile. And he I actually... I mean, but the 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 that's not going to be an actual thing he has on Drikus because his ceiling is going to be so much insanely lower. Yeah. Like, he is about to get a title shot. Is there a future where Cameron Simon has title hopes at phantom weight? Yeah, no. absolutely not. He looks better at the eye test because yeah. he's a smaller guy. Yeah. Um, and he can actually kick. Like, his kicks yes. are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, although, but, as we saw in the Mono Martinez fight, not particularly accurate. Yeah. Um, yeah. But otherwise, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, he's just a really messy chaotic fighter who will nonetheless just keep trying different things uh, until he hits on something that works. Yep. Simon is a huge favorite. He opened a minus 337. It's currently at minus 518. 
Mitchell opened at plus 282 is currently at plus 406. Yeah, it's, that's wide for Simon. I get that Simon's winning and I get that Duplessis is his hype man, but yeah. we got to be real here. He is an under athletic fighter in a very athletic division and scraping by with a majority decision against Mana Martinez and getting a comeback win or like a, you know, drag out, knockdown brawl to a win with Steven Coslow in his yeah. debut. Yeah. These are not, Simon has yet to shine in any fight against bad athletes exclusively. Yeah, pretty much. So. Yeah, if Terrence, if Terrence Mitchell did not look like a willow branch just waiting to be bent in half, then yeah, I would not be nearly as confident in this pick. All right, that brings us to a flyweight bout. Shannon Ross, Jesus Aguilar, and um, yeah, uh, uh-huh. this is, I don't know why Shannon Ross is here. I uh, yeah. I feel bad. The last two times we've seen him fight, we're like, ah. I I feel bad for him because he's clearly like he's been around forever and he's a fan. Like so many of the Aussies, he's a fan favorite. You can see why. As like a regional, yeah, like main eventer, he is a he's a gamer, man. He really is a aggressive fighter who goes for it. He's just way below, I think, the necessary tier of physicality for and durability and durability for sure. Um, it should be a huge red flag for all time, no matter what, that in 2016, he lost a decision to Ashkan Mokhtarian. Yeah. One of the most fake it till you make it fighters in UFC history. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, he got knocked out on the contender series and then they, they needed a, a replacement fight for Cledson Rodriguez, so they brought him in on for that. Uh, the story of so many fighters in the modern UFC, isn't it? Yeah, and Cledson Rodriguez. This is what happens when you get brought in as a guy. Yeah, and Cledson Rodriguez just stomped him and knocked him out. Yep. Um, Aguilar is raw. He's the kind of fighter you look at him for a second, and you're like, "Oh, this is a good prospect." Dude's built like a tr- a tank. He is aggressive. That's great. That's what I need to see. Then you watch him for like a minute or two, and Uh you're like, okay, but where's all the parts of, like, where's all the stuff that works? (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah, where's the game, actually? Yeah, because he just storms at people, throws incredibly ugly wild hooks, ties up with them and then tries to create tie-ups where he can scramble his way out and win out through the scramble. Uh, It is not to my feeling at all a good look that he has four wins by guillotine. Yeah. That basically shows that he's getting in scrambles and jumping on losing positions with the idea of, I will get through this. And we saw that instantly against Tetsuro Taira. Mm-hmm. He tried to storm Tyron. It's like, oh yeah, this looks good. You're you're physical. You're aggressive. You're a bully, and then you jump arm in guillotine. Yep. And it's like, okay, well then Tyra just waited you out for a second, and then arm triangled you, mm-hmm. and that was it. 
Yeah, front headlock is a good way to uh, to deal with uh, takedowns, but um, a front headlock and a guillotine, they're connected. They're not the same thing. Yeah. Your front headlock cannot uh, always involve you allowing the takedown. So there's a chance here for Ross to fight his way through the, the – fight his way into the good positions that Aguilar will give him. Yeah, Aguilar also tried. Like I watched another one of his fights, and he tried. Like it was an inside trip on the wrong side. Daniel yeah. Cormier was disgusted. Uh, <laughs> I believe this was like it was. I think his fight on Contender Series against Arison Fajera. Yeah, and he went for the, a, a trip, and he just threw himself to the mat <laughs> with his opponent on top of him. And then had to scramble out of that. All of that. The, the, <laughs> now, on these two vivis today, I've talked about two times when Cormier has just been like dismayed by somebody's wrestling. It only somehow makes it more endearing that he was trying so hard not to slag off all of women's MMA when <laughs> Dominic Cruz was baiting him to explain why, yes. head, and arm, why head and arm throws are bad. <laughs> he, oh, he was trying. Dominic was su- like such a... <laughs> just openly trolling him he was like yeah. well they work in middle school wrestling daniel why are they bad <laughs> <laughs> it was like please don't make me get in trouble yeah uh but yeah uh, well certainly when, when it's a guy like aguilar he is willing to be like Ugh. yeah <laughs> no that's not good wrestling yeah uh so there's a chance here that ross with all of his experience can just sort of uh wade his way through a tough fight against a explosive athlete with no structure. I am still going to pick Aguilar because being not a physical or durability level to hang in the UFC is just, it's, it's just too big a liability. Right. Yeah. Ross is, is, is tough mentally. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he will continue going for it. That's, that's what you mean by the experience, but that experience has not gifted him with a particularly complex game. No, he doesn't have a whole lot of other avenues to go down that aren't just inviting the opponent to hit him and yeah, uh, have and allowing that to happen. Knocked out or overwhelmed, he, he can win a war. Sure, but the whole he's time he's in that war, there's a chance he could get knocked out or choked out, and they're just fight like losing to Ashkan Makhachev. Like, yeah, what? How do you lose that war? You've got a guy who is like beach muscle athlete right who does one thing a minute yep and you couldn't solve that problem yeah just getting overpowered by mokhtarian is a really bad sign yeah so i gotta take aguilar but there's no reason that aguilar won't just shoot in on him and and end up pulling guard and then having to you know try to scramble up with ross on top of him yeah, I agree. It's just a fight like any fight at this level is going to be. Almost any fight at any level for Ross. Yeah. He just kind of has to get lucky to win the war that is probably going to result. He's a lot like, you know, the, the fight they really should be booking for Ross is against Malcolm Gordon. Because Gordon is a dude yeah, yeah, yeah. in the same place. Yeah. Where it's like, you can do that. You can have some fun fights. You're a great, you are a quadruple A level fighter. Mm-hmm. You are good enough to be good at the lower tiers of MMA, 
you know, a star on the regionals, but you put this person in high level MMA and it's just suddenly like, oh man, there's a problem here that cannot be fixed. Yep. Julian Arosa is the same kind of dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Arosa, I think, is even a little more. At least Arosa's big. Yeah, Arosa has some size to insulate him. And, and Arosa is a better technical grappler. Yeah. You know? Ross opened at plus 185, is currently plus 126. Aguilar opened at minus 244, is currently minus 140. Yeah, these lines should be close. Aguilar does not hold on to anything well enough to be a real favorite. Yeah. And that brings us finally to a lightweight bout. Kamuela Kirk, Esteban Ribovich, and... Uh, uh-huh. I, I just don't trust Kamuela Kirk. No. Uh, Kamuela Kirk strikes me as your classic fighter who is a lot of flash yeah. and swagger and very little to actually back it up. I think either the opponent sort of buys it and gives him a lot of chances, or they don't. And then it looks like his fight with Damon Jackson. Not everybody's Damon Jackson, obviously. But Jackson's just like, I don't care what you're doing. You're like dancing around. I'm just going to come at you. And Kirk, it very quickly became clear that he actually had no answer for just naked pressure. Yeah. Kirk is a fighter who I think any area his opponent is better than him in means that they have the potential to dominate him. Yeah. You know, if somebody's a better grappler than him, they can draw him into a grappling battle. They can win. If they're a better wrestler than him, they can draw him into a wrestling battle. They can win. If they're a better striker than him, they can draw him into a striking battle. They can win. Yeah. And Esteban Rubovich looks like a better striker. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, basically, he faced a similar dynamic in his fight with Rajabov. Yeah. uh, As uh, Kirk did against Jackson. And it was a more credible resistance that he yeah. put up. He still got swamped. Uh, but every time over, he got, but he was in there yeah. landing shots and countering and firing back. And every time he got taken down, he was fighting back to his feet. Yeah. It was just There's too a much. Less, a lot less flash and a lot more deliberation in Rubovich's game. Yeah. Yeah, he just doesn't have a style that's like, oh, yeah, what are you going to do to me? Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> it just happens and you're surprised when it happens. Yeah, uh, yeah. Rybovich looks um, just overall more solid everywhere, basically. Yeah. Too bad, because I think there's actually some really fun, like, there are some fun pieces to Kirk's game. There is some, you know, it, he's got a smoothness to him that it, it, it teases that there should be something there. <laughs> yeah, but it's not an exhibition, man. Like, No, yeah not going to be getting fights with the other guys uh, required to just let you do stuff at your, at the pace you want to do it. Like, uh, he just doesn't really seem to deal with pressure very yeah. well at all. All right. On that note, that wraps us up for the prelims vivisection. You can find me on Twitter at the Zane Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. And unfortunately, we don't have time to do a bonus episode for our uh, sub stack, our prelims sub stack, Vivi, this week. So we're just going to sign off here. Thanks, everyone, for your support and share the shows. And we'll see you next week.
Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.